somewhere in the bowels of the city that never sleeps. Kevin McCullough, radio host with Salem Media. Is a man also not sleeping. Syndicated radio talk show host Kevin McCullough. And that guy would like a word with you. Many of you know him. Of course that Kevin show is going to be great. The only thing that could be greater, of course, would be that Donald show. But we don't have that, so we have that Kevin show. Featuring the music of Dick Tunney and the Dream in Color Orchestra. And tonight, she was the first female physician in Congress, Nan Hayward. An independent woman fighting for our kids, Kelsey Bowler. A unique take on Travis and Taylor from Penn Holderness. He's telling the untold story of Mother Teresa, Thierry Cajunut. And 20 years later, they dare you to move. Switchfoot in the spotlight. And now, from Times Square, where tonight they continue to shoot the film, Noah, Escape from New York City. He's Aquaman himself. Here's that heaven! I, I don't know anything about being Aquaman. I, I do not think that that is a real thing, uh, though we have had a, a flood of biblical proportions the last two days here in the world's greatest city. Welcome aboard to the weekend. So glad to have you here. We've got a ton of great stuff for you tonight. Uh, we've got the first female doctor who was ever in uh, Congress, uh, Nan Hayward. She's going to be here. Kelsey Bowler is back. She had some time away from us. She she had her third baby. She's now a mama fighting for the good of all kids everywhere. Um, Penn Holderness is in back-to-back -back weeks in sketch comedy. Uh, you, you've heard about the Travis and the Taylor, have you not? The Travis and the Taylor, it's, it's the most amazing story of, of all time, I guess, if you believe the media. It's the... It's the only story that evidently anybody's talking about. But uh, anyway, we'll we'll get into that a little bit. Uh, a little bit later on, um, a very special film is coming out, Mother Teresa and Me. And uh, Thierry Kajinut is a Swedish uh, filmmaker who has put this film together, and he'll be with us uh, to discuss it. And Switchfoot, the beautiful letdown. Um, 20 years since that record came out, and they are still making music couple of kind of cool arrangements of two of their classics tonight. Uh, they're going to be with us in the spotlight. I hope that you'll look forward to that. I want to say a real big thank you right off the top of the show tonight to the uh, Broadway Association. Had their, their first uh, luncheon of the fall and got to get a couple of sneak previews on two different uh, plays. Uh, here in uh, in New York. I'll tell you about one next week called Bettinger's Luggage. I'm going to go see it on Tuesday night uh, with the lovely bride. Uh, but the the new f uh, musical that I think is going to be the tough ticket to get is the new Barry Manilow, Bruce Sussman compilation work called Harmony. It's not a jukebox musical. It's not about Barry Manilow's music. This is all original score. A, a new cast recording is out. Uh, this this is about a true life World War II era um, boy band, basically from Berlin, that made it huge. Sold 15 million records in in the 20s and 30s. That's unbelievable when you think about uh, the uh, numbers of um, records and singles sold today and so forth. But uh, anyway, uh, a very well done period musical that's in that that's in that uh, season. 
and uh, it, it has highs and lows. And uh, I can't wait for you to to know more about it. But I do think it's going to be a tough ticket to get. So if you're headed to Broadway, see Harmony earlier than later, because once the uh, once the reviews start coming in, it's going to be something else to see altogether. Speaking of World War II, we do want you to join us for that Kevin tour. Uh, we have limited seats available for a tour that is going to be in Europe in the summer of 2024. We're going to go to London. We're going to go to Normandy. We're going to go to Paris. We're going to see the um, the uh, places that uh, Eisenhower, uh, Churchill, uh, the, the boys on D-Day uh, and others uh, all witnessed and saw. And it's going to be uh, really amazing. And it's, and it's super easy to hold your spot. You just go to that Kevin tour dot com that kevin tour.com and uh, put your deposit down and hold your seat for us but we had less than three dozen seats left uh at last check so i just want to make sure that you know those are going quickly and they've sold thousands of seats on this tour um we're, we're getting a very intimate uh group together uh so i hope that you'll join us it's uh june la latter part of june into the first week of july uh and on july 4th we will be in the american cemetery in normandy paying honor to those great heroes all right. Uh, speaking of heroes, I'm really tired. I, I'm I'm just sick to death of hearing the same story happen again and again in uh, the Portland or in the Oregon public schools this week. Tagard Talachuan, I think is how you say the name of the school district. Uh, there was something rather horrific. If you're the parent of daughters uh, and this happened to you, uh, I, I, I don't I don't. I don't know how I would respond, actually, if this happened to my daughter. Take a look at what one young boy did to a girl there this week. That is a biological male. That's a biological male that, as you saw, pulled the girl down from behind, uh, slapped her in the face, and told her to try it again. Now I don't know what she had tried. We we don't we don't have the luxury of seeing that part of the video. But this was premeditated. He was laying in wait for, her, and he went after her. And it's not the first time. Just uh, a couple of uh, hours after that video was released. A second video turned up. This is the same biological male, only he's attacking girls in the girls' PE class. Take a look. Just pushes him down and starts another fight. Now, the local school district... Uh, was deluged with parents who were upset about this. Uh, but the fact that this biological male, this boy, is going around and assaulting these girls like this, uh, pulling them down by their hair, pushing them, shoving them, fist pun uh, punching them, uh, this, is, this is unacceptable. And the idea that you can't do anything about it is... An anathema, and one of the moms uh, whose daughter, who, whose daughter, the first daughter that you saw, uh, posted this on social media. She said, "Yesterday, my daughter was attacked at school by a biological male dressed as a girl. 
I can't put into words my anger at the situation after watching this horrific video, nor my distraught knowing I can't do anything because I will ultimately end up in jail. To the school, where were the supervisors? Why wasn't anyone present in the hallways? I don't want excuses, I want answers. Of course the coward that he is fled after putting hands on my daughter, said the mother online. She also went on to say, in fact, he doesn't seem like a good human being at all. He is known for being a bully. He's done this to several girls. He is clearly targeting females. If you see this, just know we are coming for you. We will not stop until you are punished in the court of law to the furthest extent. You will not get away with this, said the mom. Um, that is exactly the reaction that every parent naturally should have. But the question is, and this is, this is an important issue going into the cycle of 2024. Why aren't the parents speaking more loudly? This isn't an isolated incident. This is happening in schools all across the country. Why aren't parents throwing absolute fits, running for the school board office, insisting on firing the superintendents and the principals in these places that see so intent on coddling people who have an imaginary issue with gender as opposed to defending the boys and girls who are healthily adapted to the biological sex that they are? I'm sorry, there was a reason why just a few years ago, if a child was confused about their gender, you didn't affirm the confusion. You didn't say, it's better for you to pursue something that you are not biologically able to become. And that's not hate speech. For those of you that would like to cancel somebody who says that, please show me a scientific demonstration where a biological female became a male or a biological male became a female. Even if you change body parts and do surgeries and cross hormones and do all the other things, the DNA of the cell never changes. You can take the DNA from that person years from now after living as the other gender or the other sex for years and years, you still take a single cell from their DNA, it will register, it will ping as whatever the original sex was of the person. The fact that we even have to have these conversations is insulting, but the fact that our children are at risk is unacceptable. So parents, do something about it. Don't sit back and let this happen in your school, to your kids, to your daughter. I won't let it happen to mine. Nobody else should have to either. I'm Kevin McCullough. We've got a huge show for you. Coming up next, Congresswoman Nan Hayworth. She was the first female physician in the Congress. That matters because she's concerned about something very important. Stay with us. From New York, it's that Kevin show. See, I knew it. Uh, come on, Kev. What's a few classified documents between friends? I told you. I told you all the time. I knew it. I knew he had some, too. Here he is. That Kevin. Kevin McCullough. All right, ladies and gentlemen, my next guest I am very pleased to have with us as she was the first female physician to be a representative in the United States Congress. And she also stems from the Empire State, and she is very concerned about the cost of uh, basic medical concerns for Americans, and she has some insight on what's still going on. Ladies and gentlemen, please put your hands together and welcome Congresswoman Nan Hayworth. Hello, Nan. Hello, Kevin. Thank you so much for 
having me as your guest. You represented New York's 19th district, and uh, Mr. Lawler sits in the seat that you used to sit in. I helped yeah. him get elected here in the New York City area. Very happy that he is where he is at. And yeah. part of a kind of a little bit of a red wave that happened in your state uh, yeah. this year. It took you, you nearly double the number of Republican representatives in Congress. Uh, Mike Lawler uh, represents me in the House, and now it's the 17th district because New York continues to lose population. Uh, and so much of that, as you and I both know uh, all too well, is due to the excessive uh, hand of the state in yeah. uh, punishing the folks who are working hard and trying to uh, make a living and raise their families here. Well, and we saw that even come to more fruition on the state level as well during COVID and the combination of the one-two punch uh, in what happened to the city and to the state statewide was a real tragedy. Yep. Felt maybe more acutely by New Yorkers than a lot of other places just because of the size of yes. the impact here. I, yes. I want to get to some of that in a bit. I, I want to, this week, it was revealed by um, Mr. Comer on the Oversight Committee, and you you served in some oversight capacity. You were with the Financial, uh, Financial Committee, and you did on the subcommittee there on oversight. So you, you're familiar with the role that Congress has in saying um, mm -hmm. to the other branches, yes and no, and um, that's yeah. part of the checks and balances that our founders built into all of this. Right. And, mm -hmm. and when Republicans were campaigning in Lawler's last election, when they were coming to power, um, they campaigned hard on opening up honest investigations and getting to the bottom of a lot of things. But I don't think anybody thought that had not been paying attention very well. Some of us had been, but I don't think anybody that had not been paying attention very closely thought that the corruption stuff was going to be as bad as it is. And this week we saw uh, Mr. Comer announce that they had evidence of bank wires coming to Joe Biden's personal residence in Delaware. Um, what is the impact of of that on this entire discussion of their corruption and what it represents? Uh, well, uh, yeah, smoke, meat, gun, right? I mean, the the thing that, that there are a couple of things I think, Kevin, that uh, uh, your savvy uh, and well informed listeners uh, need to contemplate together. Uh, one is, will this kind of news hit the dominant media, as my buddy Mark Halperin calls it? Um, and I know that yesterday I saw an item, uh, and I may have been Joe Concha, uh, noted that none of the major networks had covered that item at all yesterday. Zero minutes devoted to that. Um, so it, it, if this kind of evidence breaks through to the broader public and it's trickling through, you can see that in, in the in polling, uh, you know, folks know there's something wrong uh, with Joe Biden. There's something corrupt about him. There's something unfair about the way the Department of Justice has been uh, applying pressure uh, on one side very heavily and, and selectively and not on the other. So people are aware there's something wrong. But this kind of thing, as you know, Kevin, would, is only discovered because we have that Republican majority in the House, Subpoena as narrow problem. as it is. Yeah. 
right? And if, if we had a Democrat majority in the House, none of this would have come to light. And those whistleblowers from the IRS now being corroborated by the FBI, uh, it, you know, it, telling us that, you know, they were told to back off Hunter Biden, to slow walk things, to ignore things, you know, none of that would have come to light without uh, without a Republican majority in the House. Kevin McCarthy, who you did not get to serve under as speaker. But I did, served, actually. Well, not as speaker, but as uh, as whip. You served yeah. with him. Yes. And so there was uh, there. Uh, you, you're familiar with his style. He has opened the inquiry, but he's not rushing to an actual impeachment right. proceeding. Some people may not understand why that's the case. What powers does opening the inquiry give the committees and the Congress without having to proceed directly to the impeachment proceedings? Sure. Well, they have subpoena power, uh, so they can they can bring evidence to the public, uh, and and that really is in in this context today because we have a Democrat, although narrow, a Democrat majority in the Senate. So realistically, we are not going to get a conviction vote in the Senate, uh, even if the Republicans decided to impeach. Uh, Joe Biden, uh, you know, the House impeaches, the Senate tries. So, uh, you know, that process doesn't go to conviction unless the Senate uh, convicts. They didn't uh, convict President Trump, obviously, either time that uh, the Democrat House brought. But to your point, what you said, bringing it to the public's attention, that's one way that we can get these stories out, because if James Comer subpoenas information, and then brings it to the public, um, people have to pay attention to it. Exactly. That's the key. And I think uh, Kevin McCarthy has uh, an extraordinarily challenging position uh, as the speaker in in this House with this House majority. And I think he's handled it adroitly. And I think opening an inquiry um, is the right thing to do. And Look, the what we were just discussing, Kevin, the outrages that are being exposed uh, should trouble every American. And the key is, of course, to continue hammering away uh, and, uh, you know, letting things uh, drift into the public view, even if uh, the major news media are uh, dragging their feet. And because I, the point I, I want to emphasize too, Kevin, if I may, is that, you know, we talk all rightly about Joe Biden and his incompetence and his corruption and his disintegration before our very eyes. But let's bear in mind, Joe Biden is the Democrat Party. There is no daylight between Joe Biden and the Democrat Party. So whatever you see that Joe Biden is doing wrong, uh, you know, all the, the failures of Joe Biden, uh, all of his corruption, quite honestly, the Democrat Party has stood four square behind him. Yeah, I, it's going to be interesting. There's there's an increasing rumble of people that say that even Democrats are starting to understand that he's not going to fare well in another election cycle. And there's all kinds of ideas about who might take his place. Absolutely. Um, I, I think it's a little early to put all the money on any horse uh, in that on that side of the aisle just yet, but we'll yes. wait and see. We're going to take a break. We're speaking with former Congresswoman Nan Hayworth, who, as a physician, 
has a thing or two to say about some of the health care policies of our country and what she would like to see happen. We'll get to that next. Stay with us. Ready or not, we'll be right back. And we're back from Times Square, That Kevin Show. So glad to have you with us. Congresswoman Nan Hayworth rejoins us. Why is it that we can't seem to get drug costs under control? What a great question, Kevin. And, you know, look, so much of it uh, is because of government's very heavy presence uh, in our health care, even more so, of course, with uh, the passage of uh, Obamacare. Uh, in in twenty in two thousand nine, I guess it was, um, but in what I'm referring to in this particular piece is the cost of so-called specialty drugs and biologics, uh, and the airwaves are full of advertisements for uh, these very special molecules. Uh, they go by all kinds of uh, fancy, memorable or not so memorable names. They're advertised for. Uh, psoriasis, for arthritis, for inflammatory bowel disease, very uh, troubling and painful and important conditions that they can powerfully control. Uh, But the cost of these miraculous medications uh, is unreasonably high in the United States, and that's due largely to the way Uh, our laws and regulations work today Hmm. to advantage uh, pharmaceutical companies that want to drag out uh, particularly their their patent uh, process so that they're the only ones who can sell some of these, uh, sell a given biologic. Uh, And uh, unfortunately, that enables them to keep prices uh, artificially inflated, and that hurts consumers. I'm sure that the price is also paying for all those fancy TV ads that we're seeing all over the place yes, too. No um, doubt. And if you right. want to see, if you want to start a fight at my dinner table, just ask my lovely bride what she thinks about these drugs being advertised on TV. Now I, I I'm a little bit more Switzerland on this. Like I'm not, right. I'm not really pro or con, right. but she absolutely believes that it is uh, almost an anathema to good health care. To be advertising this drug and say it's going to solve this problem for you, then use half the time that you're on the air to say all of the things that you could die from because of it, and then then say, but but ask your doctor to get it for you. Like that's kind of the model. Is that healthy for for the consumer? Does that give the consumer the most informed view of what they need to be doing? It's a great question, Kevin. I will tell you, I you know I've been a patient, although I've never received a biologic. I've been a prescriber. Obviously, I'm a physician who practiced for many years, uh, and I've also worked with industry as well. So I've actually worked on... You've seen all sides uh, of it. Right. Not direct-to-consumer advertising per se, but certainly uh, forms of, of representation and advertising to the profession. Here's where I've always come down on it. Um, I have real problems with doctors who advertise themselves because there's no intercessor between 
them and the patients. They're making claims. The patients are going to them. There's no one to protect them. When pharma advertises, I mean, over-the-counters are a different thing, but over-the-counters are hard to hurt anybody with, thank God. But um, if, if pharma advertises and says, ask your doctor, your doctor's there to protect you from bad decisions, we hope. So that's where I, I'm, I'm like Switzerland about it, too, in that sense, Kevin. Um, I don't have an objection to it. It does. Does it add to the cost? Yes, no doubt it does. Although, is it the primary driver? No, the primary driver really is uh, you, United States uh, policy concerning uh, biologics in particular and the, the perverse incentives uh, that play into what should be market forces. You know, ultimately prices are driven down by competition, right? You know, that's the that's the healthy way to drive prices down, not to hold them down artificially, but to allow new entrants in the marketplace to come in more readily. So in our final yes. minute, what is Dr. Hayworth's prescription to solve it? Definitely, we, we should call on our members of Congress and senators to change patent law so that uh, it, concerning biologics so that they can't stretch out, pharma, pharma can't stretch out their patents for 30 years, allow new entrants into the marketplace to get in more easily. We can do that by uh, altering some of the ways the FDA deals with these things uh, and to work with uh, patient advocacy groups to ensure that, uh, that it, it's not incentivized to raise the prices of these biologics because that makes uh, the middlemen more money. It can be done. There needs to be public pressure. I think uh, disease uh, advocacy groups are especially important here, but you know, every every American is affected by this ultimately, and it's good to, to bring it to public attention. I thank you for the opportunity. Yeah, absolutely. Dr. Hayworth, uh, Congresswoman from New York, come back and see us again sometime. Ready or not, you'll be right back. That Kevin. Now, back to that Kevin show with Kevin McCullough. All right, ladies and gentlemen, my next guest is making a return appearance to that Kevin show. She was with us last spring as we were talking about the uh, Slave Liberation Project with Christian Solidarity International. But she has since had a baby, <laughs> taken the summer to welcome that new life into uh, this world, and she is still fighting the good fight with the Independent Women's Forum and the Independent Women's Voice. Ladies and gentlemen, please put your hands together for Kelsey Bowler. Hello, lady. Hey, Kevin. It is so great to be back. Is is I'm well... I know how honestly painful you're saying that because you've you've <laughs> gone from two to three. Actually, you went from one to three pretty fast. Um, and I was telling you, wait till you get really outnumbered. We'll see how the uh, the schedule holds up. How are you holding up? It's definitely a handful. Um, and, you know, you do feel those natural pulls between being at home with them and um, staying in this fight. But that said, I honestly... Um, it, it is good to see your face and hear your voice again. I always appreciate the opportunity to chat with you. On the topic of the debate, if that's what you could call it this week that went down, uh, it was 
and I, I have very strong feelings about this, Kelsey. I think these debates are a waste of time. There seems to be almost nothing of substance that is being communicated and, and put out there in terms of the biggest challenges our country is facing, whether it be national security or domestic policy, and in this case, the issue of parents. So let me ask you, from the standpoint of what you've seen from the debates, particularly the one this week, where is the rest of the Republican field on trying to uh, protect parents and bring back into some sort of accountability the state versus the parents when it comes to their children? Yeah, well, first off, I am with you. I think it's time that Republicans consider a new debate format where we can have more substance. Uh, so much of the media has turned to new media platforms like your own, like podcasts, which you can have a much more um, a, a debate filled with much more substance. So I think a lot of us would like to uh, move in that direction. Um, that said, we we did uh Fortunately, get a question about gender ideology and the subversion of parental rights in the classroom, in the public school system, and even some private schools. Um, it was good to hear most of Republicans, um, you know, push back on that, take the right stance that uh, parents deserve or to know what's going on in their children's classrooms. And of course, if there's anything regarding their child's mental health happening, they need to know. That's pretty basic. Um, I, I think Doug Bergram could have been actually stronger on this. We know he didn't actually um, implement policies protecting parents in his own state. I do think he is weaker on that issue. To be honest, I don't think he has much of a shot um, at becoming president anyways, but he is, a, he is a figure. He could become a cabinet member, and it's important for the entire Republican Party to understand the extent of what's happened happening in this space because sometimes I ask myself, you know, are we paying are, are we paying too much attention to these individuals who identify as transgender um, and detransitioners, which proportionately are a pretty um, small group of the American population. But what gender ideology ultimately is, is a subversion of truth. Um, it is an attempt to sever the natural bonds between parents and children, mm -hmm. and it, it is conditioning our children to ignore their natural instincts when, say, a male enters what is supposed to be a female space. So it's not just about this small population that identifies as, as, as transgender um, or non-binary, whatever it is these days. It's the effect that it's having on all children. Um, you don't have to have a biological male competing on a women's team to already be realizing the effects that this ideology is having on that team when coaches are are no longer allowed to refer to girls as girls and, um, you know, have to toe this politically correct line. It's really an, an all attempt to erase womanhood. And it has a serious effect on girlhood, on, on, on our young girls' um, development and in future. That's why I think that Republicans, by and large, deserve more than one question about this in a debate. I feel like it is not just an attack on parents. It's an attack on women, as you just pointed out, and it's and it's an attack on the, uh, the 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 children of our nation, which do not belong to the state. They belong to we, their parents, that are responsible for them legally before the law, morally before God. This this is they're they're interfering in in areas in ways that 
that we've never allowed before. And what I would like to see more of is a, a very direct laying of all of this at the feet of Joe Biden. He came into office and in one of his first moves insisted upon that this gender ideology would be spread throughout the public school system. And he threatened tax dollars to districts that wouldn't go along with it. This has been something that was forced into the conversation by the other side as radically as it possibly could be. Absolutely. And that's why on the debate stage, we do need to see Republicans taking a strong stance against this. I certainly support federalism, which uh, was a piece of the response that we heard in the debate this week. Um, it's, you know, states do have a responsibility here to implement these policies when it comes the right, the correct policies when it comes to education. But again, the, the subversion that is happening uh, is so drastic and such an attack on basic family formation that it is absolutely necessary that any GOP leader be speaking about this issue with clarity, with moral authority, and without fear. I think that is part of the reason Ron DeSantis, um, you know, has the platform that he does, and we we want to see him continue um, with that stance. We heard uh, recently on an interview with Megyn Kelly, former President Donald Trump, you know, had kind of a strange response when asked, can a man become a woman? Um, that shouldn't, you shouldn't have to think about that answer. Of course, a man cannot become a woman and vice versa. That said, I do think Trump as well has, um, you know, had good policies. He is on the right side of this. Um, he perhaps just needs to work on his response a little bit. That's a risk. vital point that you're making right there. And it's right. Um, and the left, I just don't think has um, a deep love for children. I'm sorry. People convince me otherwise. Uh, I haven't seen it. Uh, Kelsey Bowler, it is so good to see you. Thank you for being back with us, and we'll talk to you again real soon. Thank you, Kevin. You got it. Kevin McCullough is continuing live from uh, Times Square. And don't forget, in the spotlight, a lot of stuff about Travis and Taylor tonight. Ready or not, he'll be right back. With a no-drink minimum. It's that Kevin show. Ladies and gentlemen, they've been around for more than 20 years. Switchfoot with guest vocalist John Bellione from New York tonight on this remake of a Switchfoot classic. Fumbling his confidence and wondering why the world has passed him by. Hoping that he's bent for more than arguments and failed attempts to fly
songs of the band Switchfoot as their beautiful letdown album celebrates 20 years this year. One of the remakes uh, that is going to be featured, John Bellion on vocals and Meant to Live 